bringing your weekly Jets, Giants, and NFL talk from WFUV Sports. With top guests, weekly fantasy advice, and opinionated analysis, this is One-on-One's NFL Friday. Week 7 edition of NFL Friday. I'm your host, Charlie Misano, alongside Emmanuel Barbari, Jimmy Sullivan, our co-host, and he's also pulling a double duty doing fantasy as well. First first time being on the podcast in a couple of weeks. Glad to be back here. Good to be back. And Jimmy pulling the double duty. Always love to see that. So should be a good show. It's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. I've never done CN fantasy, but I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. we got a lot of stuff to talk about, but I'm happy to be here. You can handle it. <laughs> I think I'll be all right. I was say, you're in for a round wide here, Jimmy. Uh, I suppose. I suppose. But anyway, got to start off with the game last night. Chiefs-Broncos, Thursday night football. Chiefs win 30-6, to improved to 5-2. and Broncos go down to 2-5. and but obviously that's not the big story. The big story is Patrick Mahomes leaves the game with a knee injury, potentially out three to three weeks. Worst case scenario, maybe eight. Uh, it's just a really, really bad situation in Kansas City, especially after going to the AFC Championship game last year, looking like the only possible threat in the AFC to beat the Patriots because the, the Patriots are running away with, with, the, with the conference, with the division. And I don't know, I, I think this puts... New England in a prime spot to go right back into the Super Bowl. And you look at New England's schedule, it's not like they've played anyone that you'd consider to be noteworthy and say, hey, that's a great Patriots win so far. They've had a relatively easy schedule. I think it speaks to the weakness of the AFC, the fact that they've played so many inferior opponents. But now the Patriots being the only left undefeated team and really not by their doing they've had such an easy schedule and now the Chiefs that's basically any threat eliminated and when you look at Patella dislocation for Patrick Mahomes I'm surprised it's not worse you know you know what I love about doing a podcast uh at this time of the hour one o'clock in the afternoon is what you get breaking news live during the podcast Uh, you know you guys were worrying me a little bit passing the phone along so I figured it was something major So Adam Schefter tweets quote Patrick Mahomes MRI was in the words of a leak source good and it turned out to be a best-case scenario. Prior to MRI, team believed best-case scenario was Mahomes missing about three games. So so it's, it's, it's looking good. That's what we were discussing. And look, I'm surprised it wasn't worse. You dislocate a patella. That sounds very bad. It sounds like something would be damaged or torn or something incredibly serious in there. And that's a franchise quarterback there. So best-case scenario means there still is a threat to the Patriots in the AFC, and it should be that way because, again, the Patriots have not played a lick. They haven't played anyone worth even competing with the New England Patriots. I think when you look at this from the Chiefs' perspective, the best-case scenario, obviously, him missing three games, which is probably going to happen, I really think they can weather this because Matt Moore last night played pretty well, took care of the ball, made a tremendous throw in the second half to Tyreek Hill that wound up going for a touchdown, and he's one of the best backup quarterbacks in the league, so... The Chiefs just go 2-1 and one over that time span, and then they kind of go from there, take it with Mahomes, have him fresh for the playoffs. I think this is about best-case scenario for the Chiefs. I think they're equipped to do it. Andy Reid's a great play caller. He'll come up with some kind of scheme, adjustment for Matt Moore to be able to deal with having to start him for two or three games. But the Chiefs are pretty much uniquely equipped to handle this for three games. Obviously, if it was a full season, their Super Bowl hopes would have been dashed. They might have been able to get to the playoffs, but that would have been it. But I think the Chiefs are equipped to handle this. I think they're going to be able to do it. And I picked the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl before the season, and I'm not backing off on that. Wow. I think they're the best team in the league. They're the most talented team in the league. They've had a blip here recently, but I think once they get Mahomes back fresh, they're going to weather the storm here with Matt Moore, who's about as good of a backup quarterback as you can have. Because if you remember a couple years ago, Matt Moore led a Miami team to the playoffs where he played Adam the last Gates. three or four games after Ryan Tannehill got hurt. with, with The Adam highlight Gates of Adam Gaze's career. <laughs> yeah. and, and look, you know, New England's going to be taking a back seat once the Jets beat them on Monday. So we're uh, going to get into that yeah. later in the show when we talk Jets and Giants, but back to the Chiefs. I do agree with you. I do think they'll be able to weather the storm, Jimmy, but I'm taking last night's game with a grain of salt. They played a putrid Denver Broncos team whose offense cannot move the ball whatsoever. They only scored six points. Opening drive touchdown with Royce Freeman running into the end zone, but Joe Flacco lo- just looked awful the entire game. He's looked bad pretty much the entire year. Their defense, they hire a defensive guy in Vic Fangio to be to make their defense even better, maybe bring it back to the standards when they won Super Bowl 50, but he just looks like he hasn't cut it all year. Is Joe Flacco still elite? <laughs> Let's pose that question. Yeah, yeah the, the Chiefs were going to win that game, and really, you talked about it from the outset. The focus of the game was Patrick Mahomes because, look, you were going to cruise to that victory. wasn't a problem. It's a lopsided game either way. 
and you decide to hold your breath and hope that the grand scheme of things here for the Chiefs is fine because, again, even if you have Matt Moore and this best-case scenario three weeks, you lose a couple games, that's not anything in the grand scheme of things for the Chiefs. It's about getting this guy back healthy, getting everything as a well-oiled machine, entering the playoffs, and trying to do something you could not do last year. I don't know who needs to hear this. The Broncos are terrible. Uh, There's nothing redeeming about the Broncos. Their offensive line cannot stop a nosebleed. They gave up like a million sacks last night to Joe Flacco. And Joe Flacco is a lot like Eli Manning, where he's just not mobile enough to get outside the pocket. But from Denver's point of view, I look at that as poor roster construction, and I look at that as not being on Vic Fangio so much as it's on John Elway, because you go out and get Joe Flacco, and he's he's no good, okay? Joe Flacco is not a good quarterback in this league anymore, and you go out and get him, you you, you trade for him on you know the last couple years of a contract, because they still have him for the next couple of years under contract, and this is not... This is not a good Denver team, and they're not well-situated for the future. I don't know if they're trying to win. I don't know what they're trying to do. I don't know what John Elway's plan is here, but he's done such a bad job executing it since the Super Bowl that they should really be ashamed of themselves because this is a bad team. (laughs) I will agree that the Broncos look really bad, and I obviously put a lot of blame on that on John Elway, but I will say I don't think at this point in the season that he would have been the starter anymore if Drew Locke was healthy. They did draft him in the second round. A lot of these other teams throwing out their rookies. Dwayne Haskins played a half of a game, and he's not ready. But I, I don't know. I think the Broncos would have turned to him at this point of the season if he was if he was ready to go. Yeah, I think they might have. But also, you, you have to look at it as, as two. You know, if, you, if you're looking at a guy like Drew Locke, who was, you know, the fourth, fifth, maybe even sixth best quarterback in this draft, which was not great with QBs, and you're turning to him kind of for salvation, if you will, that that's a problem for Denver. And if you throw him out there against an offensive line that's so bad, I mean, I mean, you guys saw the game last night. I mean, yep. they the Chiefs had a massive rush on Flacco all night, and it's not going to be any better with you locking there. Yeah, he's a little more mobile, and yeah, he'll make some plays, but he's still going to be under siege, and he's not going to have time to throw, and he's not going to be in the environment where he's going to try to be able to Statistically, succeed. the Chiefs' defense is one of the worst in the league. The Broncos' offense made them look like the best defense in the league <laughs> last night. It was hard to watch. Broncos are putrid. And Jimmy, with that rant, I was wondering if you bet Broncos last night. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. I'm just mad for the people who did. But, yeah, anyway, um, I want to just focus now on the Broncos because we talked about the Chiefs. We already know that with Patrick Mahomes out, um, we all think that they'll be able to weather the storm. Um, eventually they could make it back into the playoffs. But with Denver, John Elway is very firmly on the hot seat. But I don't. I don't know – I personally think they should fire him, but I just don't know if the Broncos' ownership will have the balls, excuse my French, <laughs> to fire a guy who literally was your franchise and is so, is glor- glorified in Denver. And, and am I wrong here in saying, like, the Broncos had some good years. They, they had great defensive units. They carried uh, old and decrepit Peyton Manning to a Super Bowl title. But... Like, what has John Elway done aside from, you know, bring in a legendary quarterback and bring the team to prominence for a couple of years? So th- that resume isn't outstanding. I'm not sure if if this is any other organization where maybe they weren't latched at the hip to this guy. I'm not sure if this is a question. If his name's not John Elway, what does he, what has he done to deserve to be there? Nothing. I, I don't think he has anything on that track record that warrants saying, this guy's a good general manager. This guy gets the most out of little. Yeah, he he... Like you said, I mean, it's it's the cachet of John Elway, right? He's been in the Broncos front office since 2011, right? That was the first year of Tim Tebow and that team really being a serious contender. And then fool's afterwards, gold. Yeah, fool's gold, and then they go out and get Peyton Manning. And, and that was his real claim to fame. But other than that, he had not built even the roster of those years when they were in the playoffs every year and they, went to the, and they won the Super Bowl. So he doesn't really even deserve, I think, a ton of credit for those teams that were good. And now when you look at the teams that are bad, it's kind of on him because you commit the money to Joe Flacco and you make all sorts of just poor roster moves. And, and Jimmy, yeah, where's the direction? Right. I, I don't know. Like you're bringing in Joe Flacco. Yeah. What are you doing? I don't know. I don't, this is the problem. I mean, this is the problem that I have because you're bringing, you're bringing in Joe Flacco. You could have traded up in the draft, gotten one of these guys any of the last couple of years because, really, quarterback has been a problem for them since Peyton Manning retired. You could argue the Dolphins have better direction right now no, than the Broncos. No, definitely not. Definitely Oh, not. I think you could make that argument. They're for a quarterback. They know what they're doing. They're not going to do this for 20 years. They have years. direction. Uh, I mean, if you're Denver, you have to draft a quarterback this year, whether it's Justin Herbert, um, Jake, uh, Jake Fromm. I don't think they're going to get Tua because they're not going to be first in the draft. 
But that's the problem. They're going to finish like six and ten, and they won't have the ability to get the best quarterback. The, in the or draft. they'll have to give up a bunch of picks to trade up, like the Bears did for Trubisky, which is coming back to haunt them now because well, Trubisky's not that good. But they're just going to have to trade up and, and get one of these guys from you know say twelve to six, and then give up a couple first round picks. Maybe uh, best case scenario, they they tank next year and get uh, Trevor Lawrence out of Clemson. Yeah, that's thinking that's thinking quite a bit ahead. But that, uh, yeah, with a guy dynamic. like with a guy like that, he's on Andrew Luck type type uh, standards, type rave that's going about him. I feel like teams are already starting to plan ahead with that. I will say this about Lawrence. Uh, he's kind of struggled a bit this year, and, and with the the gullet of the 24-hour news cycle, I, I still think he's going to be the number one pick a couple years out from now, but teams are starting to kind of, I don't want to say nitpick with him, but they're really looking at his flaws and because they have so much tape on him. So that's just going to kind of be interesting to watch. I don't think it's a surefire thing necessarily that he'll be the number one pick because people are treating it like, oh, just lock it in right now. And I don't know. I, I wouldn't lock it in right now because he's had a little bit of an up and down Just year. look at Trevor Lawrence's Wikipedia, and you know that this guy since birth was like tabbed as the next big thing. <laughs> so I, I'd have a hard time believing that he's not going to be that next big thing come the draft that he's entering. I, I think this guy is on that trajectory, like Charlie said, of like an Andrew Luck, yes. uh, Peyton Manning when he came out of college, that kind of thing. Regardless of the fact, if you want to hear more about the college football as- aspect of it, listen to Jimmy's College Gridiron Good plug. on FUV. Uh, we're not going to go much further into quarterbacks in the draft. That's Jimmy's job in his podcast. But let's get refocused here. Before we go into our Jets and Giants segment and our fantasy hits with Jimmy, the other big news of the week, Jalen Ramsey finally gets traded out of Jacksonville to the Rams for two first-round picks and a fourth first, uh, a fourth overall pick in the 2021 draft. Uh, I think it's the 2021 draft. Yep. I believe so, yes. Regardless of the fact, Ramsey is out of Jacksonville in, in Los Angeles. Guys, I want to pose a question to you. Who won this deal? Wow. Good question. All right, I can go first if you want. Yeah, go ahead, I'll, I'll, I'll say the Rams. It's got, it's got to be the Rams. I mean, the, the the Jaguars when they brought in Tom Coughlin said that he was going to be a guy to change the culture over there. Arguably, it's worse right now. And Doug Marone has been trotted out as the guy for the the voice, He's very and much face on the hot seat. of the organization. He's on the hot seat. I don't think that's fair to him. Um, Jalen Ramsey. This this was coming for six months in the making. Um, and and yes, you get the two first round picks. And don't get me wrong, that's awesome. But Jalen Ramsey's an amazing player. He's probably the best cornerback in the league. The Rams get him. I think the Rams move back into being a playoff team now. They were on the fringes there at 3-3. Three and three. And it's it's also interesting to look at the Jaguars had three first-round picks from 2014 to 2016. They all play for the Rams now. Although Blake um, Bortles is-, <laughs> is not good and Dante Fowler is not. If, you, if we were going back to redraft – and whatever draft he was in, I don't think he's a top three talent. But that, don't yeah. you need a culture shift you with do. Jacksonville? Couldn't this help in, in some way? Maybe, but what it, happened? It, all the hype with Jacksonville. But they it's also it's also the point of like you have Jalen Ramsey and all these other guys wanting to get out of there, and I think that's a very telling thing with the way that culture is situated right now. I, I can come around to Jimmy's take. I think the Rams won this deal. Uh, when when you look at it, the fact that you're sending all these first round picks two opposing teams, specifically the Rams. It shows that things are in shambles over there. And regardless of what you're getting, how are you going to trust this organization to use those picks in the right way Mm -hmm. moving forward? So I I think you get a great player in Ramsey, and Jacksonville just gets ineptitude and an inability to make something out of of what you're getting in this deal. I'll break this down into short-term, long-term. I think that in the short-term, Jacksonville won the deal because I don't think Jalen Ramsey is just going to magically make a 3-3 and Rams team any better and make the I, I think obviously they have a chance of making the playoffs but the defense is not the Rams problem it's their offense their offense has been terrible Jared Goff has really struggled this year um, I really don't think that plugging in Jalen Ramsey is just going to magically fix their problems and make them overcome teams like Seattle who are five and one and San Francisco who are five and zero. Oh, and San Francisco actually looks legit but long term yeah the Rams did win the trade because next year if they come back everyone comes back healthy their offense plays better They'll have this guy long term, and he'll be a cornerstone for that franchise. Yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting for the Rams, and also they they don't have a first round pick in a couple years now. I mean, yeah, they they it also has the potential, and I'm not saying it's going to happen, but this has the potential to be like mid 2010s Brooklyn Nets, where they just don't have a first round pick for a span of like five years. Um, I don't think that's going to wind up happening because I think the Rams are smarter than that, but. 
they they've had issues. The running back position as a whole for them has actually been fine. Todd Gurley's been able to punch in touchdowns, even though he's getting a lot less carries. Like they've been okay. Malcolm Brown has has spelled him and done a pretty good job. Their offense, I think, is mostly fine. I think Jared Goff's okay. I don't think he's a great quarterback, but I think he's good enough. I think the defense was the main problem for them, and I think that was the main area that you had to improve, and they did that. And you're three and three. This is a massive underperformance so far from a team we expected to be a juggernaut in that NFC West. So. If you need to leapfrog things, it's not like this isn't a win-now team. The Rams have shown that they're on the doorstep of being something special, and we just haven't seen them cap it off yet. So you're underperforming. I don't mind them making a reactionary move to try to win and plug a hole. So on that point as well, I see it as a win for the Rams and that you're getting a dynamic defensive player. You, You can take a leap from here and then... You know, for Jacksonville, again, we don't trust them to, to, to leapfrog the organization in the right way. Well, they definitely, the Rams definitely um, won the deal because they also traded away Marcus Peters, who was, who was not performing well this year. But overall, with Jacksonville, I think that they won the, sh- the deal short term because they'll be able to move on from Jalen Ramsey. The headache is out of the way. They could just focus on the team that they have and obviously game plan who they want to draft eventually in April. And who knows, Come like, like we've been saying, if the Rams missed the playoffs, that that pick this year could end up being pretty good. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I'm in full agreement with what you just said. Yeah, so I, I when I look at this deal, I think the Rams won the trade, and I think Jacksonville has serious issues with culture that need to be addressed, yes. and I don't think a coaching change is going to be the thing that fixes it. Well, that'll do it for our NFL portion of this uh, podcast. We're going to focus primarily now on the Jets and Giants, and then we'll go into our pickems later. But first, before we go into the Jets, let's talk to Jimmy for our first fantasy hit. Who are some of the safest bets in fantasy this week? Here, the players our expert thinks you must start if you're looking to win your matchup. All right, guys, I'm going to go with the number one pick as my first stud. Quarterback Kyler Murray of the Arizona Cardinals has been a top 10 QB by most measures this season, partially because he's also good for some rushing yards in addition to his passing exploits. Murray faces a porous Giants defense this week, and he's coming off the best game of his young career against the Falcons last week. You should have him in your starting lineup if possible. Let's stick with the theme of rookies as we move over to the running back position. Raiders rookie Josh Jacobs faces a Packers defense that has been absolutely bludgeoned by opposing running backs this season. Green Bay has given up seven touchdowns to running backs over the past three weeks, uh, past five weeks rather, and Jacobs found the end zone twice in Oakland's last game against the Bears two weeks ago. If he can do it against Chicago, he can certainly do it against a weak Packers defense. Finally at wide receiver, I like the matchup for Cowboys wideout Michael Gallup against the Eagles this week. With Amari Cooper possibly out with an injury, Gallup stands to get some extra targets from Dak Prescott on Sunday night. The Eagles' secondary was gashed by the Vikings last week, and Gallup stands to be the biggest beneficiary of their struggles and injuries on his own side as well. Thanks, Jimmy, for that hit. And I like the Kyler Murray pick. I mean, he's playing the Giants' defense, and... We'll see. Maybe he'll light it up uh, at MetLife. Yeah, he's fun to watch. He's a guy that, you know, he gets outside the pocket. He's got a great arm, and he's kind of starting to do what I think we thought we would do out of college. I think he was the best quarterback in this draft by far. Uh, I think he's going to have a nice career. Yes, he's only 5'9", and, you know, maybe he, he doesn't have the same career as other shorter guys like Russell Wilson or Drew Brees, but, you know, he's a he's a dude that makes just makes plays. It's, it's hard to describe. It was kind of like when Doug Flutie was in the league, and he was 5'9", or 5'10", and he would just make plays that you wouldn't expect him to make. I don't think it's any different with Kyler Murray. And we'll get into this as we move along, but a lot of quarterbacks can make plays you don't expect them to make against this Giants defense, this Giants secondary. So I I like that as a pick to kind of go at it in fantasy this week and maybe give you an unexpected great performance. And we'll talk about the Giants later, but first, got to talk about gangrene. Huge, huge, huge win against Dallas last, last week. Uh, But now we have to look ahead to the Patriots on Monday Night Football. I talked a lot about that in this week's Jets report. The boys are back with a vengeance, and there is newfound life at one Jets drive. With the highly anticipated return of Sam Darnold last Sunday against the Cowboys, Gang Green feasted on offense and proved that they can actually play the game of football when a competent signal caller is out on the field. Greg Williams' defense made numerous big stands all game with the biggest one coming from Jamal Adams on a two-point conversion that would have forced overtime. Although Dallas outscored New York 19-3 in the second half, the Jets came out victorious, 24-22, and finally got their first win of the season. Darnold, who missed the team's previous three games, 
was just happy to be back on the gridiron with his teammates. Well, I felt good out there. You know, it was it was good to, to hear the fans roar again and be out there on the field with my teammates. There's no better feeling. You know, when you're out for, for so long like I was, um, you realize that this game's a privilege uh, to play it. So it was just good to be back out there. Yes, a win is a win. And the team looked good against a formidable opponent in the Cowboys. But this week is a completely new test. The Jets welcomed the undefeated New England Patriots into New Jersey for a Monday night football showdown. These two teams last met in week three up in Foxborough, where Tom Brady and the squad dismantled the shorthanded Jets 30-14. Although the Pats have looked unstoppable all season, this game could have a different outcome. On top of Darnold's return, C.J. Mosley will also come back on Monday after missing the last four games with a groin injury. The team will look to continue their promising run and shock the world on the grand stage. While it'll take a complete team effort to upset the defending champs, I believe the Jets will be able to do it. Give me the Jets 28-17 in what would be the biggest upset of the NFL season. Covering the... I'm Charlie Misano, WFUV Sports. All right, guys, so again, I'm really, really impressed with the way this team played against Dallas. 24-22 win. At MetLife, the Jets now improved to 1-4. Cowboys at 500, 3-3. Just my overall impressions of the game were Sam Darnold is finally back, and this team actually has some hope going into the season. It breathes such new life into this team, into this franchise. It shows what a difference having a quarterback can do. And that long ball to Robbie Anderson was really everything. It was beautiful. beautiful. It was everything. And when you looked at the schedule entering the year, you didn't expect Sam Darnold to come down with mono. You didn't expect all these injuries on the defensive side of the ball, the weapons to be limited. But this is a game you had to win if you wanted to weather the storm and be in a position to make a playoff run. The Bills' loss is going to hurt them for a while, I think, because it put them in a hole where instead of 2-3, and three, you're now 1-4, and four, and you can't necessarily look up with your franchise quarterback back in the mix. But regardless of record, we know the Jets, it's about more than being a playoff juggernaut this year. This is new life. This is a new ability to look forth into the future. And Sam Darnold showed you everything he's capable of doing to a franchise against the Cowboys. It was beautiful. My favorite Sam Darnold throw from that game was actually not the Robbie Anderson deep ball. There was a play where he started rolling to the left and he stepped up in the pocket. You guys probably know what I'm talking about. And then he kind of threw it with his body facing open towards the uh, near sideline uh to I think it was Demarius Thomas, but it was it was just a special throw because he he rolls out, he steps up, he makes such a difficult throw, and, and he's really good. I mean, he Sam Darnold is a really good quarterback, and he's a really talented quarterback, and he's going to be for a long time if he stays healthy. And the Jets' offense clicking in the first half. I think my concern for them, not to be Debbie Downer here, but they're up twenty-one-three at the half. They really didn't do a lot offensively in that second half, and they they were driving downfield for a touchdown, and Darnold throws a pick basically in the end zone, but. That's, I think, a bit of a concern that Dallas was able to adjust so well against the Jets' defense after having seen a half of them and then just changing things up. But, yeah, Sam Darnold was amazing, over 300 yards passing. Uh, running game didn't quite get off the ground, but didn't really need to. And and that's a really good win. You know, you get your quarterback back. It's an emotional lift, so it's it's not necessarily a huge shock necessarily, but that's a really impressive win for the Jets. And, and credit to Adam Gase for having his guys ready to play and, and not having them out of it because the last couple of weeks before that, they were not ready to play, and they got blown out by the Patriots and the Eagles. Granted, with a third-string quarterback, but still, they had a couple of weeks to prepare for that, and it just didn't work out for them. So they do deserve some credit for that, where they got some criticism for it a couple weeks And, before. Charlie, big key, would they be the same old Jets in the second half? They had that big halftime lead. We saw this story in week one. Would Adam Gase have his team ready to play? I really don't think he did in the second half, but they were still able to come away with the win. And I think just getting out of there with the win changes the culture a little bit. Hey, a win is a win. Oh, they exactly. have, have it on the board now. Jamal Adams came up big on that fourth, uh, not fourth down, the second, the two-point conversion try with like 30 seconds left in the game. So they just got to move on and focus on the Patriots. But also, it's just crazy how night the team was night and day without Sam Darnold. In the first three games that they were without him with Luke Falk and Trevor Simeon, they didn't even look like a team that could compete with 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 a high school team, and, and now and now yeah. they're they're beating the uh, the Cowboys, and they could potentially beat the Patriots. This on is Monday. why everyone calling to blow up the franchise and calling for Adam Gaze's job. You need to give this an evaluation process. I'm it, not giving a pat. I'm not giving Adam Gaze a pass it, for those three games. That was awful football. It, it was awful football. But look who was playing. Uh, like I understand you you need to create some 
some magic. Maybe try to stir something up. You have nothing to lose with Luke Falk. Maybe try a couple shots down the field. But this is an incapable quarterback that you're playing with. There's no excuse to only have him practice with the first team one day before they play the Patriots of all people. So I just need to see more. I need to see more of Sam Darnold. This is an evaluation year for him. It's a year where he desperately needs to take a step forward in order to give the fan base some hope. You need to see what Adam Gase can do with that quarterback, and he was robbed with some of that clearly in week one when Sam Darnold wasn't on his A game. And, he was also and he was starting sick to get sick. Yeah, sick, getting he, he sick. said he was playing at like 70%. With, with mono in week one, you can't necessarily open the playbook when you have that type of quarterback going for you. So I need to see a couple more weeks of Adam Gase, the quarterback whisperer, what he can do with Sam Darnold on the field before I make a true judgment on him. I'm sorry. Like, those weeks were hideous, but they were hideous for a reason. And as far as I know, they are 1-0 at full strength right now. They beat a Cowboys team that you didn't expect them to beat, and now you need to see what they can do against them. They're not even full strength because Chris Herndon isn't back yet. I'm not sure if he's going to play this week, but huge, huge upgrade now with C.J. Mosley saying he's playing on Monday night. Huge. Yeah, I, I think, too, when, when you look at the weeks without Sam Darnold, I, th- I think Trevor Simeon getting hurt really hurt them because Trevor Simeon is he's not great, but he's a capable NFL quarterback. Their offensive line was also terrible. Their offensive line was horrendous. Terrible. Luke Falk, there, there was one play where he had two receivers wide open downfield against the Eagles, and he just couldn't look up because there were three guys in his face. So that, that, that was part of it, too. I don't give Adam Gase a pass for that at all because I'm with you, Charlie. I, I just think... You have to be prepared for all of those scenarios. And, yes, it's a third-string quarterback. And, yes, Luke Falk is barely an NFL quarterback. But still, you got to be ready for those scenarios. And something like not having him take first-team reps, especially when you have a bye week thrown in there, really just inexcusable to me. Now, granted, Gase does deserve some credit for last week with the Cowboys, and I think this week they are going to be competitive with the Patriots. But, you know, I I, I still want to see more before I'm sold on Adam Gase. I'm more skeptical in terms of not making a judgment. I, I just don't want to leap to the conclusion that, hey, this guy's really good once he gets his quarterback back. Because even in the second half, you know, if you look at that game as a whole, Dallas still outgained the Jets. The Jets didn't get 400 total yards. So, yeah, they had a good game offensively in the first half, but they haven't really put a full offensive game together yet this year. And I want to wait to see that before I can really start to get behind Adam Gase. I also think Gase is getting a bad rap about that whole practice thing. Like, don't you want Darnold to be on the field as much as possible in practice to see what you got ahead of playing him the following week? Especially when you're entering a game you have no chance to win. It, it is, I, it's a lose-lose situation right. because if Darnold— It's going to get criticized either way. Because if Darnold, if Darnold didn't practice with the team, with the first team, and they had Luke Falk practicing with the first team reps, um, and they cleared Darnold, then he's not ready against the Patriots. But at the same time, there is that— that point where Darnold wasn't cleared yet, so you have to at least sprinkle in some Luke Falk that week in practice. Right. I just think he's gotten a bad rap this season, and rightfully so. You got to win games. <laughs> like, he's also been terrible with the media. Push comes to shove. You got to win games. Also, when you're in New York, you can't be that weird with the media. You can't be that weird in general. So uh, these are some of the reasons I'm still a little bit wary on Adam Gaze, but. Moving forward, look, these next couple of weeks, you got to show the progress that you need to make. I mentioned full strength before. Now they're getting even closer to being all together for the first time this season. You have the Patriots, which is a huge test. The Jets can beat the Patriots at home. They've shown in the past. And then you're going to have a significantly, significantly lighter schedule following that to work your way back into this season. So this is the time. We've been waiting for the time to say, hey, Adam Gaze, show us what you can do. Sam Darnold, show us what you can do, and now is the time. And that's why I'm happy they were able to get a win on the books against Dallas. After Monday night, they go at Jacksonville, potential win. At Miami, definite win. Knowing the Jets, I'm going to put 99.9%. <laughs> yeah, yeah there's, a, there's a sliver of uh, Home yeah. against the Giants, which I think will be a very, very, very interesting game because both teams will probably have this around the same, same record, both teams trying to prove that they are the team in New York. Uh, I'm very excited for that one. Then at Washington, home against Oakland, at Cincinnati, home against Miami, Thursday night against uh, Baltimore in Baltimore. That's going to be tough. Then home against Pittsburgh, no Big Ben, so that should be easier. And then week 17 at Buffalo. Buffalo in a prime position to make the playoffs. So out of those out of those games, only really two, two tough tests. I already see six or seven wins in there. Like six or seven games where you're going to be pretty heavily favored. And then a few toss-ups where you could say, if we could grab that game – we might be a playoff team. So this is the time. The Jets can work their way back into the season. Again, week one's going to sting for a while yes. because that puts them in a three-game hole towards 500 instead of being on the precipice of 500 this week. 
But look, there is the opportunity. The Jets have to take it one game at a time. And I think that starts with Monday night. I think Monday night, it's not a must win because I don't believe there's any such thing as a must win until you're on the brink of elimination. This is as close to a must win as you can get because if you can get to 2-4, and four, get some momentum. There aren't a ton of 1-5 teams that made the playoffs. The Colts last year are an outlier. And I, I, I have a hard time believing the Jets will be able to do that even with that schedule at 1-5. and five. But if they start that slate of schedule at 2-4, and four, you're, you're having a different discussion. Now you're saying, okay, if they string three or four wins together, they could be over 500, and they could get into that wild card hunt where they could steal By one the of those By the way, very weak spots. AFC. Yeah. So take that as you will, but I don't think it's going to take many wins to make the playoffs in the uh, AFC this year, especially with the weakness of the opponents. This is the reason why we're talking about the Jets getting back into this schedule because of some of the weak opponents they're going to play, AFC included. So uh, there is an opportunity here. But above all else, let's just see Sam Darnold continue to improve. Let's just see Adam Gaze open the playbook. Let's see the Jets play an exciting brand of football that can bridge the gap towards future success. That's that's the key to this year, regardless of outcome. And I was going to say the two teams right now in the two wildcard spots are Buffalo at 4-1 and one and Oakland at 3-2. and two. Both teams are not known to be... Oakland is it, not blowing your door off, yeah. and Buffalo isn't a... 11-win team. And Josh, Josh Allen's getting a lot of credit this year for the way the team has played, but it's really been the defense. Right. Josh Allen is not I, – I, w- I wouldn't say he's on the same level as Sam Darnold in that class or even Lamar Jackson. Josh Allen is just getting um, a, a good – he's in a good situation, and that's why I think the Bills are playing better than, than they should be projected. You talk to a Bills fan, I don't think they've been very impressed with Josh Allen this year. It, the defense has been exceptional, and, and that's what's driven the Bills to this 4-1 and one cushion, and I think 4-1 and one is very big, especially in this AFC this year. I just don't view the Bills as a team that's going to put up 11-12 wins and be a juggernaut you can't catch in the AFC. They also so, have an easy schedule, too, unfortunately. You're dealing with the Raiders, maybe the Bills. And then after that, it would probably be uh, Indy without Andrew Luck. Jacoby Brissett's played well. I like Indy, though. And a couple of big wins for them. This maybe year. Cleveland. They're two and four. They have. To, I don't even. I don't. You don't even consider Cleveland a real threat anymore. Uh, Cleveland. Cleveland is such an emotional roller coaster at this point. Just to even watch them, not even as a fan, just passively. Um, I. I feel like the, the Bills almost have to make the playoffs with that schedule. As as much as we've been talking about the Jets, and rightfully so. Um, because the Bills should get to ten wins with that schedule. You know, you, they go five hundred the rest of the season. They're ten and six. Ten and six is usually good enough to get you in the playoffs. Yeah. So I feel like they have to almost with with the schedule that they're playing. But we'll see how it winds up. And 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 you know, definitely we've been surprised before. But I I think the Jets Monday night huge game for them. If they can win that game, then the playoff discussion starts to get much more real. Regardless of the fact, I think all three of us are very very excited. For Monday night, I know I'm going to be in the building covering the game. I think, E-Man, you're going as a fan. I am. So it'll it'll be an electric atmosphere uh, in New Jersey. So now let's go to another fantasy with Jimmy, then we'll talk about Big Blue. Predicting this week's fantasy duds is just as important as picking this week's fantasy studs. Here's who our expert thinks you should sit this week. We'll start at the quarterback position for duds, and I'm not a huge fan of Patriots QB Tom Brady this week. We were just talking about it, and while the Patriots are favored against the Jets, New York is getting key pieces back on their defense, including linebacker C.J. Mosley. Brady has thrown a pick in each of the last three weeks, and he's only been a fringe top 10 fantasy QB this year, so try to stay away from TB12 if at all possible. Move over to the running back position, and I'm going to pump the brakes on Chris Carson of the Seattle Seahawks. He's going up against a solid Baltimore defense that gave up just 14 rushing yards to the Bengals last week. If that defense comes to play in Seattle this week, I think Carson could be in for a quiet, if not disappointing, day. And finally, we'll go over to tight end, and Jimmy Graham has been completely lost in the Packers' offense all season long. I don't expect that to change, despite a decent matchup against Oakland. Aaron Rodgers clearly likes some of his other options, so try to go with those over Graham, who has become the latest high-profile tight end who has not paid off in the Green Bay offense. Jimmy Graham is a as a dud I think is an every week thing don't you think <laughs> it's it's at this point I, I almost felt redundant putting it in but I said well he is though it's true I don't know he's a guy who always underperforms yeah but uh, but definitely in that Green Bay offense too like if you look at some of the tight ends they've had over the last couple of years and Aaron Rodgers just doesn't throw to them I it's will say I'm, I'm gonna disagree with you on that on that dud although I just came at Jimmy Graham just because of the fact that Devontae Adams is still out Marquez Valdez-Scantling still out and Geronimo Allison is questionable so he might be the guy that um, Aaron Rodgers goes to uh, on Sunday. He may, he may, uh, and and you know he's he's a guy who is still capable of putting up good performances. But last week against Detroit with Devontae Adams out, 
two catches, 17 yards. All and, right, and that I'll, leads a lot to be desired. But I'll, but there is that chance that he could break through. Then I'll st- stick with your judgment. I won't question it. Jimmy Graham probably just just should not be in lineups at all. Rest of the period. Season. Yeah. Anyway, let's focus on the Giants. Brianna Leverty, our Giants beat reporter, let's hear her report. It's the week of returns for Big Blue. Saquon Barkley is poised to potentially return to the lineup for Sunday. Evan Ingram has been cleared to return after suffering a knee injury, and Wayne Gallman Jr. could also return against Arizona. All of this comes as the Giants have the opportunity to draw even with the record of either the Cowboys or Eagles and maintain their status of just one game behind in the NFC East. The Arizona Cardinals may be in last place in the NFC West, but unfortunately for them, they're playing in a very strong division. The undefeated 49ers and 5-win Seahawks have been dominating their schedules. But rookie quarterback and last week's NFC Offensive Player of the Week, Kyler Murray, has been performing well. Plus, Pro Bowl cornerback Patrick Peterson will be making his return after a six-game suspension. Meanwhile, the Giants' wide receiver core has been lacking, and leader Sterling Shepard remains out. Last Thursday against the Patriots, only one of the two touchdowns scored was actually the result of an offensive play, Golden Tate's 64-yard reception. If Tate can build on his performance against the Pats and Evan Ingram immediately gets back into his groove, only then can Big Blue's passing game make a significant impact against the Cardinals. And coupled with the comeback of both running backs, the Giants' offense could come up big, and Barkley is excited for his possible return. Obviously, it's very fun coming in here and get a lot of hard work in the weight room and practice and film, but uh, I think the most fun is going out there and competing with your brother, so um, that's, that's what I'm most excited to be able to do. During that matchup against New England, it was the Giants' defense that scored their first touchdown of the game and held the Patriots to just one offensive touchdown the entire first half. It's evident that the defense is finally finding its footing and has the potential to match up well against Arizona's offense. What with their Week 6 game being a Thursday night matchup, the Giants will have had nine long days to prepare for Sunday. Reinvigorated by the likely return of several key players, I have the G-Men defeating the Cardinals, 21-10. Covering the Giants, I'm Brianna Leverty, WFUV Sports. All right, that was a good report by Brianna. And last week... Thursday night against the Patriots kind of shocked me a little bit. The Giants actually put up somewhat of a fight. Then the week before that, they lost to Minnesota at home. But now they're focusing on Arizona and Kyler Murray, who we prefaced in Jimmy's first fantasy segment. This should be a game that a lot of Giants fans are very optimistic about, considering that if they win, they're again back in somewhat of a playoff hunt. They are in a playoff hunt, considering the NFC East has been so up for grabs the entire season, and the Cowboys' struggles, you can almost thank for that, putting the Giants in this position. Yeah, it was almost like in that Patriots game, the Giants, you expected them to fall out of it, and they never really fell out of it until the end. And the defense, you can credit, although they allowed 35 points for a majority of that, because I don't think Daniel Jones looked good at all. I think he was a little overwhelmed by the situation, looked like a classic rookie quarterback, and the Giants defense certainly has its pores, but I think their ability to create kind of chaos kept them in that football game. Yeah, I mean, Daniel Jones did what most rookie quarterbacks do against the Patriots because they've never seen looks like that before from Bill Belichick. And Daniel Jones just didn't play well. You know, There's there's, there's no two ways about it. And you start to get a, maybe a little concerned because he had that great first game against the Buccaneers. Since then, he has not played well at all. And, and granted, it's still early, and you want to see more from him, but... The question now becomes, hey, is this guy the guy? And you have to play him for the rest of the season I don't at least think to that. start to find it out. And I don't think he is either because I'm still skeptical on him. I've been skeptical on him since they drafted him. But I, I think this is a guy that they have to ride out at this point and say, hey, let's see what we've got here. Let's let's try to go from there. But Daniel Jones looked like a deer in the headlights against that uh, Patriots defense. The upside is he's not going to face a defense like that again this year. Mm-hmm. The downside is you saw him against the most complicated scheme in the NFL, and he he kind of laid an egg. Then that that was disappointing from a Giants point of view. But you're encouraged by the fact, obviously, that their defense kept them in it for most of the game. They just ran out of gas. In the I don't know. I, can, I like emphatically disagree with the statement that the question is: Is he the guy? I mean, he he's going to have next year for sure. I don't think they're drafting another QB. If they do, David Get, Dave Gettleman should be fired. Um, they he, couldn't draft another QB. Yeah, they, no. you cannot draft another QB at this point. Um, you have to give him next year. If he really falters again, then then yeah, that might be a question, but right now it's way too early to tell. Um, last week, I mean, every team that's played the Patriots so far has not looked good on offense. Daniel Jones, 15-31, of 31, 161 yards, one touchdown, and three interceptions against the Patriots. He also did re- uh, regress 
against the Vikings. That defense is pretty pretty tough. But overall, I, you got to just wait and see how he does the rest of the season. Um, and then about, I think he gets a full evaluation next year when he has all of the first-team reps in training camp. Eli Manning will be out of the equation, and then it'll be Dan- officially Daniel Jones' time in New York. And at least you have someone you can go off and evaluate and kind of take this franchise forward. And they made that decision very early on in the year that they were going with Daniel Jones. But look, Gettleman's tenure is going to be defined by Daniel Jones. Yeah. That's what the Giants are living and dying. I'm not sure if we can question if he's a guy yet because he's a rookie quarterback. you got to let him go through those growing pains. We've seen some positive signs, but right now Daniel Jones is the guy. Whether he is or not, ability-wise, I think it's beside the point. The Giants are going to live and die and put their franchise's faith right now in Daniel Jones, and I don't think that's questionable. I, I think that's how they're moving forward in the next couple and of years. And I think he takes a huge step up this week considering Saquon is back. He out he outdid everyone's projections. He was supposed to be out till week 11, week 12, and he's back the now, guy's week 7. Human. It's crazy. Uh, Evan Ingram is possibly back. You have Golden Tate, who's been back. Uh, that, that Giants offense just looks significantly better than they did last week against the Patriots. They have, but but also you have to remember, too, with Daniel Jones, to be totally fair to him, what does he have in the way of weapons other than Evan Ingram? You know, Evan Ingram's been a great tight Golden end this Tate. year. Golden Tate's is okay weapon. Saquon's going to be back this Saquon's week. Saquon's going to be back, but, you know, that's that's where you miss a guy like an Odell Beckham. Shepherd. Yeah, Sterling Shepard's okay, but, you know, th- that's where you miss a guy like Odell Beckham. And I'm not saying necessarily... I wasn't a fan of them trading Odell Beckham at the time. I think it was more – it wasn't so much that they traded him. It was what they got back for him, which I didn't think was enough. They got, they um, got Zeitler, who's they been got one Zeitler's, of their best offensive linemen. Zeitler has been one of their best offensive linemen, but that doesn't you know define you as a, the future of a franchise, especially after you extend a guy. So I, I think that that was a flawed move. But also, like, Daniel Jones just hasn't played well. Um, and, and really, the hype train was off the charts, like we said, after that Tampa Bay game. But really, after that, you know, he's been inaccurate and he's been exposed by some of these defenses. Even against Washington, he threw a couple of picks and it didn't hurt them then because the Redskins are terrible. But you you can't turn the ball over like he has and you can't be inaccurate like he has and expect to succeed. So those are two areas he seriously has to clean up. I don't think it's out of the realm that he does, but I think it's really concerning for Giants I think fans. that's a good point, Jimmy, because everyone was drinking the... Daniel Jones Kool-Aid after the first week. The Giants needed something to cling to. The fan base needed something to cling to. And once Daniel Jones came in and delivered a win, was really impressive against Tampa, you wanted to jump on that train. But I think everyone had to realize to hold off and not start the Super Bowl plans because <laughs> yeah, you're dealing with a rookie quarterback. And I don't care if this guy's going to be Peyton Manning. He's going to have struggles his rookie year. And I think that's what you're seeing. Regardless of what Daniel Jones will become, you had to expect him to kind of hit a bump in the road, kind of hit a wall, and that's exactly what he's done. Not sure what he's going to be moving forward, but, Jimmy, as you mentioned, the accuracy just needs to improve. Hey, without Daniel Jones, this team is probably 1-5. They don't win that Tampa Bay game if, if Eli Manning is starting. I'm not sure if they have a win with Eli Manning. It, I, there needed to be some sort of shift. You don't think just, they would have beaten the Redskins? I'm not sure. I, I just think they need to energize the team. I'm not sure how good Daniel Jones is yet, as I've said repeatedly on this podcast so far, and I'm not sure if that's the point at this stage of the season or at this stage of the Giants' progression over the next couple of years, but they were just lifeless with Eli Manning. I'm not sure if they would be in a position to win a game with Eli Manning as a quarterback. And at this point, I don't mean to say you're not trying to win, but I don't think it's about wins and losses at this point. The Giants team's not going to the playoffs. Yes, they're one game back in the division right now, which is kind of wild, but they're not a playoff team. It's like the Mets this year. (laughs) They tease you, they tease you, they tease you. No, they're not a playoff team. They still have to play Philly twice. And they still have to play Philly twice, and those are probably two losses right there. So this Giants team is not going to the playoffs, and it's just see what you have. But the problem is what they have had in Daniel Jones has not been good. So you go to him, and I I pretty much agree with going to him because I think eventually you just got to play your guys, especially your young guys, and, and see what you have for the future. But you go to him, and he has a great game, but then after that he falls off, and and that's going to be the problem for the Giants. Which Daniel Jones is it? Is it Dr. Jekyll? Is it Mr. Hyde? Right now, I don't know. So we'll, good, good analogy, though. Thank you. So we'll have to see what happens on Sunday. We'll get our official picks um, in the next segment. But before we go to that and before we go to Jimmy, quick note, Fordham alum uh, Chase Edmonds, first game back in quote-unquote New York since being drafted in Arizona. That's actually a very good note here because Chase Edmonds is also coming off. Was it last week where he broke off a touchdown run? Mm-hmm. He's looked very good when given the opportunities. It's not like he's a – dynamic back they're looking to exploit over there but to consider he came from an fcs school over here and he's doing pretty (laughs) decent things in the nfl especially with the question marks that have surrounded david johnson the last couple years 
Yeah, you know, I'm excited to see him, you know, tear it up at MetLife Stadium. And, and it's funny, too, because he's, he's on the Cardinals, and it's a team that maybe we don't necessarily pay attention to out on the East Coast, but he's kind of developed into, like, almost a James White type of role, yeah. catching passes out of the backfield, being used on a lot of third downs, and that's really good to see from him. And we always knew, even when he was here, that he had enough talent to be in the NFL. He's showing that now. He's found a nice little role in that Cardinals offense, and he's a really dynamic player. Is it out of the realm of possibility that he does something against this Giants no, defense? No, not at all. I, you never know. Look, right. and, and he's going to be extra motivated. He's only playing a few miles away from where it all began. I know last year he had two touchdowns in the entire season, both in the same game against the Packers. Now he has two touchdowns in back-to-back weeks. Hopefully he gets in the end zone uh, against the Giants. Uh, we, we wish him the best, and uh, we hope he tears it up for the rest of the season in Arizona. But now let's go to Jimmy for our last fantasy hit. Nailing sleeper picks is a surefire way to get your team a victory. Here are some players that fantasy owners are currently overlooking. All right, in the first two we started at quarterback, went into the skill positions. We'll go in reverse order for this one, and I'll start at tight end. I like Jared Cook of the Saints. He's had a touchdown in each of the last two weeks against Tampa Bay and Jacksonville, and he's kind of turned into a red zone handcuff for backup quarterback Teddy Bridgewater. Bears have given up some points to fantasy tight ends this year, even though they've got an excellent defense. The one caveat for Cook, he's only had three. He only had three targets last week, and we'll see how many he winds up with this week, but that's something to watch out for for the Saints. And Cook, if he gets his fair share of targets, should have a good week. We'll go over to wide receiver now, and we'll stay in that Cowboys-Eagles game we talked about before. Another guy I like on the Cowboys, Tavon Austin. He's got big play potential, fast wide receiver in the slot. He'll get more targets as well with no Amari Cooper. Last week against the Jets, when Cooper got hurt, Austin went for five catches and 64 yards. And he hasn't had a ton of targets this year, but he's hauled in the ones he's gotten. He's only gotten nine targets in Dallas's first six games, but out of those, he's had eight catches. Finally, over at quarterback, I'm going to go with my guy Gardner Minshew of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Going up against an inviting Bengals defense. Last week, Minshew only had under five fantasy points. That was easily the worst game of his career. But even with that, he's just outside the top 10 in fantasy quarterbacks, 11th as a matter of fact, according to ESPN. And in his first five weeks of his NFL career, amassed at least 16 fantasy points in each game. Thank you, Jimmy, for that. And now to my favorite portion of the show, our weekly pick'em segment. This week's NFL picks. So we're going to start out in Green Bay as it's Packers versus Oakland. Oakland hasn't had a home game in Oakland since September. They have another road game here. I'm going to go with Green Bay. Got to get my mic on. like the way the Packers have been playing. This could be a sneaky game for the Raiders to kind of compete, but I like the Packers at Lambeau. Packers should only be 4-2 right now, really, when you think about it after that Monday night game, but they're good enough to get the win here. Atlanta versus the Rams, Atlanta has been by far the most underperforming team of the year. Dan Quinn is on the hot seat. The Rams need a win. Both teams need a win, but I think the Rams come out on top. I think every time I've picked Atlanta this week, I've gotten the red across the spreadsheet. <laughs> so I'm going with the Rams in a game they must win. Must win for the Rams. Like you said, I'm tempted to pick Atlanta in this game, but I just don't trust them. I'm going to give me the Rams. Something that was overlooked, our producer in the back, Sabrina Boyd, the only person to pick Oakland in that Green Bay game uh, this this week. Wow. But uh, I think we have another clean sweep here, San Francisco and Washington, San Francisco for me. San Francisco has been awesome, and Washington, a porous team against that great Niners defense. I love San Francisco. If we were picking this ATS, I would actually go with Washington, but we're picking it straight up, so I'm going to take San Francisco. Arizona against the Giants in New Jersey. We, I, I prefaced it. I said I think Daniel Jones has a good game with Saquon back, Evan Ingram back, a couple of other weapons back. I think that the Giants take this one. I think this is going to be a good game. Yeah, I want to pick Arizona, but I like the fact that Saquon's back. The Giants have more weapons this week. I'll take the G-Man. You want to pick Arizona? I will pick Arizona. Hmm. I like Kyler Murray in this matchup coming out east for a 1 o'clock game. I think they sneak up on the Giants, and they're able to get a late score to win it. Pivotal AFC South matchup, Texans and Colts. The Texans have looked good. They beat the Chiefs last week. I'm going I'm to roll with Deshaun Watson and say the, in the, the Texans in this one. I'm going to go out on a limb here. I like what Indianapolis has been able to do. A couple times picked against them, and they've come away with 
flying colors type victories. I like Indianapolis, even though they don't have their quarterback this season. Jacoby Brissett is legit. He's a starting quarterback in this league. That defense is good enough to hold off Deshaun Watson. I'm with you, man. I'm going to take a slight upset here with Indianapolis. Minnesota Vikings against the Detroit Lions. You said it. Detroit reeling after those two terrible calls by the referees. I think that they're going to come back with vengeance and win this one. Yeah, I like Detroit as well. They definitely have a chip on their shoulder entering this league. I think they're reeling after last week. You say they come back with a vengeance. I see that say they come back reeling. Give me the Vikings. Hmm. All right, Jimmy. Jimmy and Sabrina, the only teams to pick Minnesota in that one. Jacksonville against the winless Cincinnati Bengals. Could be a really bad game, but give me Jagu- Give me the Jaguars. I like the Jaguars too, but I'm not going to be watching this game. I'm not going to be watching this game either. Um Cincinnati has to get their first win at some point, so I'll take the Bengals. The other winless Miami Dolphins against the Buffalo Bills. Easy pick for me. Give me Josh Allen and the Bills. You talked about an easy schedule for Buffalo. 5-1 and one for the Bills, and it's going to be easy. Uh, the Bills are going to roll in this one. Hey, the Dolphins have to get their first win sometime, too. It's not going to be this week for the Bills. <laughs> you really <laughs> teased us. You did, you did tease us there, Jimmy. I picked the Dolphins last week, and they, they disappointed me. Yuck. 2-4 um, and four, Los Angeles Chargers, who played really bad badly excuse me against the Steelers at home on Sunday Night Football uh, they're playing against the now Ryan Tannehill led Titans I think that Ryan Tannehill gets the win here give me the Titans I don't like the Titans at all but Tannehill instead of Mariota give me the Titans Tannehill over Mariota it's like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic I'll take the Chargers Jesus <laughs> alright we're gonna go now in a very interesting game Baltimore against Seattle Seattle's looked very good. Baltimore got the win last week, but I'm still going to roll with Russell Wilson, who's tearing it up in the MVP conversation. Love Russell Wilson. This is going to be a good game. Love Lamar Jackson and what he's doing as well. Seattle is not at home, so they don't get that 12th man advantage, but I still like Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. I'm going to go with Baltimore. Just bring the upset here. I trust Lamar Jackson enough to be able to get that win. I think the defense is going to be what gets Baltimore the victory in this one. The New Orleans Saints against the Chicago Bears. think Trubisky will be playing in this one, regardless of the fact I still go Saints. The Saints minus Drew Brees, really impressive. Really, really impressive. And I don't think Chicago is good enough offensively. Give me the Saints. Bears are missing the playoffs. Write that down right now. I like the Saints. Sunday Night Football, NFC matchup between the two teams are going to be duking it out for the top spot. Philadelphia Eagles against the Dallas Cowboys. This is a must win for the Cowboys. I think that they come back. And, and get the win here. I don't like the Cowboys, and I don't like that they're going to be missing their right and left tackle in this one. Great pass rush from Philadelphia. Give me the Eagles, and the Cowboys continue to reel. I still have faith in the Eagles, even though they've let me down a number of times early in the year. Give me Philly. And last but certainly not least, the Monday Night Football matchup against our New York Jets and the New England Patriots. I said it in my report. Give me the Jets on this one. I like the Jets. They're going to shock the world here. First loss for New England. First of many wins en route to a playoff run. Jets cover, Patriots win. I think it'll be a close game. I think it's going to be a good game, but I like the Patriots in this one because the rational part of me still says that Tom Brady's going to pull it out. Bold statement by E-Man. Playoff run for the Jets. Nine and seven. Mark it down right now. You heard it here first. Well, thanks for listening, guys. This was NFL Friday, the Week 7 edition. Charlie Massano alongside Emmanuel Barbari. Jimmy Sullen pulling the double duty. And Sabrina Boyd in the back. Thank you for listening. Tune in next week.